0: Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Suzanne Sherman. Suzanne was born and raised in California, and having spent most of her life there, she moved to Utah to live a life of preparedness and self-reliance. She helps people achieve preparedness in all aspects and is the author of The Lost Frontier Handbook, and hosts a podcast called The Red Hot Chili Prepper. Her website is SuzanneCSherman.com. Suzanne, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Tom, for having me. I'm delighted to be here, and congratulations on launching your new podcast.
0: Thank you. I should mention that I've been on Suzanne's other podcast, The Wasatch Report. Uh, Suzanne's also an attorney. The, uh, The Wasatch Report is about constitutional Principles, history, and devoid of modern Supreme Court justice and media spin. So it's something else you should check out. But right now we're concerned with Suzanne's other work. And for most Americans, they might have noticed that prices are going up just a little bit over the past several months. And but don't worry, it's it's only food and energy. I mean, nothing you need to survive or anything like that. But Suzanne, for you. Food prices haven't been going up and neither is energy. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the ways I try to encourage people to become prepared is inflation. I've been telling people you might not believe in the zombie apocalypse. You don't have to go out to the extremes like they do on some of the TV shows about preparedness. But think about what's likely to affect you. And it doesn't matter where you live. Inflation is going to impact everybody. I don't know anybody that hasn't been suffering from this. So I tell people, look, there are going to be things that happen, such as inflation. Get things done and purchase items while you can before they get too expensive. And I'll give you an example because we also discussed energy. When I purchased this home here in Utah, I'm in a remote mountain area known as the Wasatch Back, almost by Evanston, Wyoming. One of the first things I did was Harden my house for the extreme weather conditions we have out here, 30 below, we we can get that out here. So I replaced the windows, updated those, exterior doors, weatherproofed, installed a generator, because something was telling me, I'm going to do this now because I really do for a, C, a time when it is going to be very expensive to do this. And that's exactly where we are right now. Not only have the prices in, increased, But if you think about it, I would have a very difficult time even acquiring the materials to get this done or the labor to do the work.
0: Well, we were told inflation was transitory. Now, of course, the government's backing up on that, like they've backed up on so many of their COVID regulations. What can people do about food prices, though? I mean, that's something that affects people every single week. They've got to eat. What do you do to combat inflation?
1: Honestly, I'm consuming less, and I am also using more of the food stocks in my pantry. It's really difficult for some people to wrap their heads around how to get started. I did, uh, on my website again, SuzanneCSherman.com, on the blog section, I focus on preparedness. And I put one out there a few years ago saying it's not too late to get prepared. You can still get prepared, So I hunt for my own meat. I don't go out and buy expensive cuts of meat. I was never impacted by the shortages we saw last year when the meat production uh, processing plants were closed because of COVID or government regulations. And so it really didn't impact me. And as we sit here, I'm looking at freeze-dried foods I've put up, including wild. Old game, sure can wild game. I freeze-dry it. I have my own chickens and I practice long-term preservation for the eggs. So um, and then the eggs that I preserved, I eventually freeze-dried them and turned them into powder. So I I store a lot of food in a in a manner in which I can use them the way I like. So I want to also discourage people from going out and spending thousands of dollars on the pre-made meal those emergency kits. You're going to spend a lot of money. There are a lot of chemicals and a lot of sodium in those. I've written a blog about that as well on my website that will warn you about that. So try and do as much of that as you can. And again, I'm just not going out and buying a lot of food that my body doesn't really need right now. I, I focus more on what is going to sustain me as to what is going to be really delicious. And I can do, I can actually do both. But if you see a lot of people are wasting money on food that will do them no good. I just shudder when I see people buying food that is going to be so detrimental to their health that is not only expensive, but is also bad for them. You see the sodas, you see the processed foods and and so much junk food. There's no reason to be spending your money on that right now if you're struggling financially and and experiencing the hardships of inflation.
0: It's a good point. If it comes in a box, not only is it most affected by price inflation, but it's the worst thing for you. If you're eating vegetables that you grew yourself, of course, that's the ideal thing. But here's what I think when I hear arguments like you're making, it's okay. I live in a temperate zone, right? We have winter, we have snow, as do you in Utah. I think you get a little snow up there. Um, All winter long, I just think of canned food, food I can myself or dehydrated as not being very tasty. What do you say to that?
1: You know, it's just a matter of how creative you are. A lot of people think that canned foods is nothing more than jams or preserves like that. Everything that I have preserved in my pantry, you can find in the produce section of your grocery store in the meat department, you know, whatever you want. I'm looking right now at a jar of mixed vegetables in layer in, in layers. So it looks pretty, it makes a nice gift because we're all gonna talk about gifts as well. And I can just rehydrate those and add them to a vegetable soup that you can buy the fresh vegetables and make a, a, a fantastic soup. Much of this is stuff that I have grown were bartered for. And there's no reason that food that you store has to be bad. Even the canned food that I have acquired, I'm just finishing rotating. I've got lots of beans that were in cans that I just freeze dried and finished that up. Everything that you can buy fresh, you can preserve and have on hand. So everything I have is stuff that the kids are going to like, guests are going to like, I'm going to like just because you're in survival mode. And I have to practice that because if we get four foot snow drifts, I'm not getting out for a while. And guess what? I don't need to. I've been snowed in here for a week where neighbors have asked if they could dig me out. And I just said, nope, I'm good. <laughs> so it, you don't have to just survive. You can actually thrive.
0: What about things like green vegetables? I know there's a limit to what you can do with fresh stuff during the winter, but if you're somebody who eats a lot of salad and maybe some cooked green vegetables, what answers do you have for those people?
1: Well, in my greens two years ago, I did a lot of uh, kale in my in my raised beds. I did kale, many different types of herbs, spinach, and I dehydrate that. And I still add, as much as I hate kale, I know it's really good for you, I will throw some of that into my vegetable soups. So you can dehydrate that and use it. I have mint, I have peppermint, different types of sage, parsley I put in, so I can throw that into my soup. That dehydrates very well. Just throw in some moisture absorbers in your storage and you're you're good to go with fresh vegetables. You're not going to have those beautiful romaine or Caesar salads, things like that, but you still can get the micronutrients that are available to you in foods such as those green leafy vegetables.
0: And I and should say with what's going on with the stores, the produce quality is going- It's you know, horrible. It's terrible. I mean, the, the quality is going down and the price is going up, it sounds just like a government program, which is a lot of what's going on right now.
1: I'll tell you what, Tom, when I was a little girl, I used to go to Sweden with my mom to visit her family. My mom's from Sweden. And one thing that I remember in this is back in the 70s, when we would go to get fresh produce, I looked at the quality and I thought, this is really bad food. Half the stuff that was on display was rotten. And well, you know, here we are in the good old US of A having the same poor food, you know, uh, poor food quality uh, choices available.
0: What do you say to a suburban person who can't shoot an elk in their backyard like you can, as far as meat choices? Is there a better source to go to than the supermarket?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, find some local farmers, even as you know, if you want to be responsible with the meat sources you get. And this is a problem though, it gets very expensive. Go to markets that will advertise that what they have is locally produced or find sources that will deliver to your home, go to the small farmers where you know what you're getting. When you know how you're feeding them, I also would want to go to somebody that I know raises them in a humane manner. And as we know, there are some supermarket chains that do advertise that. Uh, they are very expensive, but you know, try and find some stuff if you can. Because some people, honestly, Tom, have to put that aside and go for what they can get right now. So when I first learned to can meat a few years ago, I saw Walmart. Martin Evanston had a hamburger for sale on a ridiculously cheap price. So I bought about 30 pounds of, no, that's an exaggeration, maybe about 10, I should say. And I, I practiced pressure canning with that. So it wouldn't have been the end of the world if it didn't come out right. I would have just given it to my chickens. So there are ways to get it, or you can also, you know, consume less meat. I hate to say it, but I'm not buying bacon anymore. I'm not going to spend those prices and, and have bacon. It's not that important to me. So I'm cutting back on what I'm eating and focusing on what I grow myself or I can get from local markets. Great idea is to barter with people, especially, you know, a lot of suburbanites, they have the space to have their own gardens. And I tell people, don't worry about trying to grow everything for yourself. Maybe come together as a community. Somebody likes to grow. Carrots or vegetables or peas. Hey, I got zucchini. And you can all come together and share your food. I think coming together as a community like this is a great idea. I sell my eggs. I barter. I just got two big loaves of sourdough, bartered for that. You know, there are ways to get around having to pay the food taxes that are being charged. And on top of all the inflation, you can avoid it and you can help each other out at the same time.
0: You shouldn't uh, equate preparation with no division of labor. The division of labor still works. Uh, What you're talking about, of course, is that wonderful institution called society, which is completely different from government. I kind of expected that you'd have a lot of answers on different ways that you can avoid inflation and food prices. I was surprised just before we got on that you could also speak to some things that you're doing to avoid inflation and energy prices. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing where we started the show was weatherproofing my home to the best of my ability by replacing the old windows with uh, double-paned windows and with the uh, exterior doors. I'm also going to be I'm looking to re-side my home. I know the to- the the timing is horrible, but that will help with insulation as well. And the other thing is I have a wood stove here and when I purchased this home, I had two sheds full of chopped wood. And for the past two years, now that my boys aren't here with me, I just close off their bedroom doors. That's something you can do if you have a larger home. Close off bedrooms that you might or any room that you might not be using so you don't have to heat them. So I haven't run my furnace up here in a couple of years. And we get to sub-zero on a regular basis in the wintertime. I also have a propane stove or a a propane uh, fireplace and about 3,500 gallons of propane I use for that. I have a guest house with propane. If I have to hunker down and go to a smaller area that I can heat up, there are a lot of ways to stay warm. There are a lot of ways also, if your uh, range, if you have an electric range, that gets really expensive, maybe, Put use an instant pot, a slow cooker, something like that, a camp stove. If you've ha- if you are an outdoors enthusiast, even if you're not, I highly recommend those camp stoves that run on propane and you can still cook your food like that. And the, one of the reasons I also love to can my own foods is I do not have to cook them. If I just want to, I can open up a can. Is it going to be as, as good as it is, as it would be really hot? Maybe not, but you still have food available to you because if it does get to that point you really need to do what you can to get through that you know as as we're talking we just had you know some major damage and loss of life due to tornadoes in the Kentucky area and if everybody in that community was prepared clearly in a tornado, your preps are probably going to be miles away if they're not stored in a cellar or something like that. But imagine if you are in a community, your home is okay and you have these foods and every, enough people in that community can help each other out. You don't have to wait for somebody to show up with bottles of water and generators and food handouts, particularly from large organizations who take so much money from, you know, so much off the top of every dollar donated before it finally trickles down to the people that need it it. Be reliant on your friends, your neighbors, your community, and not government resources.
0: Okay, everyone, let's take a quick break for this important message. It's that time of the year again, when we're all looking for something special to give friends and loved ones for the holidays. Unfortunately, the government and its bank have worked especially hard this year at doing what they do best, make things more expensive for the rest of us. Well, I have great news. You can get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas. That's my gift to you in appreciation for listening. But that's not all. I've also made the book available as a paperback at an incredibly low price, so you can get a few copies to give as gifts. It makes a great stocking stuffer. And don't worry, this is not some preachy libertarian treatise. It's full of fun and even includes a special Christmas beverage recipe. Get more information and your free ebook at antistatechristmas.com. That, that just ain't true. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up to supply and So I guess besides food and energy, we've also got a little holiday coming up that normally people look forward to and look forward to exchanging gifts. Those prices are going up as well. What are are the kinds of things that you're recommending to your followers as far as Christmas gifts and uh, Christmas get-togethers?
1: You know, I honestly, for get-togethers, do whatever works for you. You know, I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not going to, what I like to do is make my own gifts and give to people or trade. Like we said, inflation is real right now. It's really hard to go out there and purchase price and purchase gifts that the people may or may not use. I like to give gifts that encourage people to be self-reliant. I like to encourage gifts that somebody can rely on in times of trouble. So a few things that I have here in front of me, I have a little survival candle that I made just with the ball canning jar, a half a pint. And I made those with uh, just wax. You can get soy wax or beeswax. I threw in some essential oils. And the benefit of that is it's it's hard to tip over. You can use it in an emergency. It smells good. And then at the end of it, you can also use the can or the jar, I should say. I like to also make little scrubs for people. I prefer sugar scrubs in case you have any cuts. So I took some sugar. I put some mint in a mortar or pestle, ground that up, and then mix some some oil in there as well. And it makes a nice little sugar scrub gift, or I can give somebody a packet of my freeze dried goods, a a packet of canned goods. So another favorite of mine, and I'm going to throw out a shout out to a friend of mine, Bobby Lynn in Florida, who makes something called a pure fire tactical fire starter. It's a ferrocerium rod, that you can use when you go out and if you need to start a fire. I say this because a lot of people think if somebody's a prepper, they're just going to go to any you know big box store or look at a survival site and get some. Because I've done this. I thought, oh, a fire starter. Now I'm set. The thing was a couple bucks. It didn't work. So get things that are good quality, also that are family-owned businesses. I love doing stuff like that. Freeze-dried taco meat that I made with venison. I'm going to make freeze-dried chili with elk. These are all great gifts that people that especially they can throw this in a, in a, in a, in a bug out bag or in a vehicle preparedness bag. And all they have to do is heat it up or they can take it camping.
0: The older I get, the more I would like to get something like that. And even if we weren't, you know, having all this chaos with society and not just inflation, but just about everything um, I don't need another pair of socks. Right. You know, Christmas and the holidays become this kind of chore where you're trying to think of of things for people on your list. And then you're trying to act like you're just overwhelmed with joy at whatever they gave you. And, you know, something like what you just described, it'd be novel. And I think, wow, well, that's kind of neat. And it doesn't have to be real expensive. It gets the spirit of the actual exchanging gifts back into the season.
1: It really does, and with 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 items and knowledge not it doesn 't have to be something tangible. you know, give the gift of knowledge if you want to put your favorite recipe inside a Christmas card or make your own Christmas card or send that to them. I love that idea, or if you want to offer somebody, make up a little gift certificate, come to my house i 'll teach you how to can if somebody 's been interested in that, get them a pass a punch pass for a locally owned gym or spa if somebody does nails. I really like focusing on local community cottage, you know, businesses like that. I have a friend that has a micro bakery here in Park City. You know, these are the people that I want to get the gifts for and from people that have body care care. Um, products. I have a friend out here in Utah, bare naked body care for beard oil and skin soaps, things like that. And also, if you have somebody that you know that travels a lot, get them maybe a little vehicle kit to get them started. Because a lot of times when people are traveling, especially if you live where there's inclement weather, I mean, you know, even in California, when it would get cold, at night and you're driving around, you want to be able to help yourself out in an emergency. And a couple of my favorites for that are tire gauges and a compressor that just comes in one in one handy pouch or a little starter that will start your car up in an emergency. I've used that as well, as well as little disc flares are about the size of a hockey puck with a multitude of ways that it lights up. And they come in a in a package of, I think, five or six. And you can split those up and put them in your, I have one in my hunting bag and a camping bag. And if you get injured and need somebody to find you more easily, then you can use that. So just little things that encourage people to be self-reliant that they're actually going to use. Don't go out and get them a bunch of stuff that you think is cool for a prepper because the odds are they're going to get it. And if you want to encourage somebody to be be prepared, give them something cool that they're really going to like, like a body scrub or like I said, that candle. And they might go, huh? that's kind of cool. I might want to learn more about this. So the gift of knowledge. And again, when you have a community of people that are prepared and you do have a disaster, then people can help each other and you don't have to wait for the trucks to come and help you out.
0: So a lot of this is great practical advice. And as you just said, it doesn't have to be high tech or or you don't have to have 20 years experience mountaineering or anything like that to do some of these very common sense things. But what, what about the person who's out there listening saying, I, I'm really afraid that things are going to get really expensive, and I'm not sure about services that are going to be intermittent. We had rolling blackouts in California 20 years ago, and who knows what's going to happen next year. What do you say to someone who's just, I've never even been in this world before, late to the preparedness game. How do you get started?
1: Start with what concerns you the most. So, let's say everybody can say inflation's a real thing. We already covered how to, you know, deal with inflation. Let's say you live in earthquake country. That's that was my upbringing. I was born and raised in San Francisco and as a kid, I kept hearing about earthquakes and how California is going to end up in the Pacific Ocean. Well, absent the context, I was freaking out. I remember being up <laughs> at night thinking is is today the day and, you know, So, but once I became a mom and notwithstanding that fear, I should back up. I never did anything about it, even as an adult. And once I had children, boy, a a flip, I I flipped a switch and I started preparing for earthquakes. Then I started growing some tomatoes and then I started, well, gosh, I have so many now. I can't just throw them to my Labradors to play with. That's kind of wasteful. What am I going to do? So I learned to start putting the food up. And from then I started learning how to can. And so if you start from with considering a topic or a a situation that concerns you or is more likely to happen to you or to your family illness, we're dealing with what is considered to be a pandemic worldwide. Well, I thought, well, if that happens, what do I want to do if I need to hunker down? How can I stay home? So you can branch out from there. Everybody has to prepare for a fire. How can you prepare for a fire in your own home? Gee, okay, get a fire blanket. Have a plan. Do something like that. Start with what is most commonly likely to happen to you, to your area in particular loss of employment many people we've seen massive losses of employment this past couple of years that's something i also encouraged before all this started happening happening telling people anybody can lose a job at any time prepare for that i'm not telling people to prepare for the yellowstone caldera blowing i'm not telling people to <laughs> worry about a massive emp start simple because if you do want to encourage people start with something that appeals to their common sense
0: I think that's a really important point. Start with the things most likely to happen to you or that you're most concerned about. I mean, there's no silver bullets for anything uh, that are going to solve all your problems, but life throws a lot of problems at you. Most of them we can handle most of the time, but just solving one or just being prepared for one, you're better off than you were before you got prepared for that one issue. And then you can just kind of knock them down on your list of priorities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And something else I tell people and obviously maybe you don't want to give these as Christmas gifts, but think about the items that you use every day that you would really be lost without. Okay, I started preparing now. I've got I went I went to whatever big box store and I have a pantry full of canned goods. Oh, the power's out and I don't have a generator and all I have is an electric can opener. Oops or I may only have one hand crank can opener and it either breaks or as luck will have, you can't find it. Have extras of all of those things. Think about the other things, writing materials. Your computer's not gonna work. Have things to keep you from getting too bored or think about reading glasses. If you have prescription glasses, What happens if they break and you can't get another pair? Just go and buy some, you know, have some other things that will be at least suitable so you'll be able to see and do what you need to do. I have a little hand crank mixer I got for Christmas last year, you know, one of those ones that you hold in your hand. And I absolutely love that. I actually, I use that far more than I ever thought I would. Think about tools that don't require electricity, shove hand push mower. If you have a lot of grass by your house and you can't get gasoline because of whatever reason, you still need to keep the fire risk to your house down. You want to keep those weeds down. Again, that will keep snakes and other you know animals from getting close. and And again, helping secure your property and making it look like your home is lived in and occupied in case, again, we have time of unrest or natural disaster.
0: I got to kick myself because Here's the one thing I couldn't live without. And this is since I was 12 years old, my my parents let me try coffee thinking that I would not like it and, <laughs> and uh, would never drink it because back then people were trying to tell us it wasn't good for you. And of course, I loved it. <laughs> and <laughs> I fell in love with the uh, A&P coffee. And my aunt had got the uh, whole bean and she ground it. So that's what we do today. I still have the electric grinder so if I lose power including to my generator I'm out of luck get a hand grinder right it, the can opener is what reminded me when you said that so that's up. let me write that down that's on my list of things to do but as you said I mean there's just so many little practical things everybody could use some help and I know your website can be a lot of help what are the kinds of things on your website to help them through this?
1: Oh, uh, they're going to get encouragement for, you know, if you feel like you're behind the game and haven't started, I reassure you on that. A lot of parents became involuntary homeschooling parents as well. And as a homeschooling parent, as you are, I, I talk about that and the benefits and, you know, a lot of kids and parents were absolutely miserable because they just didn't know how to go about having their kids at home all day. So I talk about that. I talk about making stock and you don't have to do that you don't have to go out and shoot your own elk or slaughter your own chickens to do that you know just all sorts of stuff about preparedness we talk about how to communicate when the world goes silent how your smartphone can keep you help you in a survival situation and keep you out of trouble so a lot of a lot of things that people don't think about i even had some fun writing an article for survival dispatch and they allowed me to publish that on my own website and when i say that it's because it was a work for hire they own it but we talked about people in urban settings who um, maybe need a source of meat. I talk about how to raise apartment livestock. People are, are you know, thinking, oh, "I'll never leave the city." Well, you can make your own meat in a in a in an apartment setting or a small suburban setting. Repurposing your pets for the apocalypse. That was another one I did for survival dispatch. So, you know, you can train your dog now, depending on the breed you have, to be a working dog, more of a guard dog. Even a small yapper is gonna protect you in a survival setting. But I also talk about repurposing your horse. I say, you know, treat, teach Hans your dressage horse To, you know, pull an elk or to pull logs or something like that. So these animals don't just become dead weight, but there are things you can do with your pets to keep them thriving and be useful in a survival situation.
0: Well, folks, I definitely suggest you visit SuzanneCSherman.com. I'm going to link to it on the show notes page. Uh, She's got links to several books that you might want to consider getting a copy of, maybe even a hard copy of in case this thing called the internet is ever not there for you. Suzanne, when they go to your website, they're not just going to find the things we've been talking about, but there's quite a bit about this document called the Constitution. Tell us a little bit about your political work.
1: Well, my political work, I, I, again, I loved to talk about the Constitution. I loved studying it in law school. And then I realized afterwards that everything I was taught in law school was patently false. So having, I did a lot of articles for the 10th Amendment Center. And I like to apply constitutional principles as the Constitution was ratified as opposed to reinterpreted by the Black Road messiahs out there in Washington, D.C. And, you know, because a lot of people like to talk about what's constitutional and they don't know what that really means. They're going to they're they're going by the opinions again of Supreme Court justices instead of looking at what was agreed upon, meaning what was said in the ratification debates. So we'll talk about stuff like immigration, and that's one thing that really blows conservatives' minds. They can't wrap their heads around the fact that immigration was never a delegated authority to Congress. So I will take these hot button issues and analyze them from a constitutional perspective and the 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 result of that is it just makes everybody angry, but from a constitutional (laughs) perspective, it's historically correct. If the 10th Amendment Center is willing to publish that, then it is correct.
0: (laughs) Well, if you've got conservatives especially angry, you you know you're really over the target then. It it seems like it's pretty easy to make a liberal angry these days, but I agree with you on immigration. Maybe the federal government, if you're going to have one, should have the power to uh, regulate immigration. But the The fact is they don't. This was never given to them. Madison and Jefferson both said this. I don't remember an amendment uh, that changed that. So that just is the way it is. So there's a ton on your website and I I encourage everybody to go there. And I want to thank you for coming on, Suzanne. Hope you'll come back.
1: I I look forward to it. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.
0: Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget to get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas, at antistatechristmas.com. Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally listen, and please do go to the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom website at tommullentalksfreedom.com and leave a review. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.